0: All right, well, we are going to conclude our time with uh, cultivating truth for life, looking at a call to holy living. We've seen how we are to live holy in our heart, our home, in our city, Uh, seen how we are to live holy by making sure we're walking in the light and not in darkness, living holy by making sure that we have a proper view of sin. And then lastly, uh, in this last session, we're going to look at living holy by making sure those things that we do do are for the right reasons and not to be seen of others, and so we want to make sure we're avoiding a life of hypocrisy um, as we do our deeds. And so we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6 verses 1 to 4, and let's quiet our hearts uh, after a busy active time during the lunch hour. Father, uh, do quiet our hearts before you. Also, Lord, uh, quicken our minds right now, as I know that uh, it's been a lot uh, this morning, just trying to uh, teach and to listen and to interact with others. It can be mentally and physically and even spiritually exhausting. Pray that you will give us the grace that we need for this hour. I pray for uh, the hearts of the women here, including my own, that we would examine ourselves in light of this passage of scripture from your most profound sermon, as Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, the least obeyed. Pray that we would, examine our reasons our motives why do we do what we do and uh, is it for your glory is it for our glory is it for your gain uh, eternal or is it for ours lord i pray that uh, again we would not play spiritual gymnastics with scripture uh, may we take it for what it is and do self-examination thank you for these ladies thank you for the food we've had not only the physical but the spiritual food and Uh, even the emotional uh, food of reasoning with people and understanding and interacting and sharing life together. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you provide the body of Christ. What a precious gift. So Lord, bless in this time and the Q&A to follow. Give me grace as I answer and and wisdom from your word. And I thank you for your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Amen. amen. Well, the story is told about a Sunday school teacher. She was teaching a class of boys uh, regarding the Pharisee in Luke 18. If you don't know the story of the Pharisee in Luke 18, let me remind you about this story that the Sunday school teacher was teaching. The story reads like this. He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector the Pharisee stood and prayed with himself, saying, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men. I'm not an extortioner, I'm not unjust, I'm not an adulterer. I mean, not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat on his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, a sinner. Jesus goes on to illustrate, I tell you, this man, the tax collector, he went down to his house justified rather than this other. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and who humbles himself will be exalted. And so uh, after the Sunday school teacher got through teaching the lesson, she asked for all the little boys to go around the circle and each one of them was to pray a short prayer. And one boy without any apparent beating on his chest prayed this. We thank thee, God, that we are not like that Pharisee. (laughs) So, as as comical as the story is, don't you just love little children and the the out-of-the-mouth-of-babes, right? But as comical as the story is, I'm afraid some Christians today are inwardly thinking very similar thoughts. We may not be like that boy who actually voiced his prayer, but in our hearts, we might be thanking God that we're not like so-and-so or so-and-so or so-and-so. We don't realize it, but in essence, many times we're no different than the Pharisee that we so loathe. Ladies, Phariseeism, hypocrisy shows itself in many ways, and often it's very subtle. And Jesus is going to bring his audience to the point that they have to evaluate their spiritual lives, not on their outward actions, but on the inward motives of their heart. Why do they do certain things? Why do they perform acts of righteousness? Why do they live holy lives? And so he's going to focus on the inward motive of the heart more than the outer action. And these first four verses of chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, they're not short and sweet, but they're short and solemn especially for those who will do some serious heart evaluation. So let's look together at these first four verses. Notice what Jesus writes. Take heed that you do not your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them, otherwise you have no reward from your Father in heaven. But you, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you like the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you do a charitable deed, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. I mentioned earlier what the Sermon on the Mount is about, so I don't need to go in there, but it is uh, Matthew 5 to 7. It's uh, Jesus has sat down, which is the normal custom for the Jew. They didn't stand to teach like I am. Uh, They sat. And so the disciples and those on the little slope of the mountain knew that this was going to be a very serious thing. He was sitting down. It was going to be formal teaching. And as I mentioned, he's raising the standard. Uh, He's he's squaring off with the religious leaders of his day who think that all they need to do is the outward manifestations of religion and not the inward transformation of the heart. And they had a problem. And the problem was they wanted the praise of men. And my friend. Uh, I hate to say it, but I'm seeing this more and more from even some of our seminarians that are graduating. Uh, they want a platform. They want to be somebody. Uh, they want a million and a half followers. They they want a platform. And that's not the position of those of us who belong to the Lord. Ladies, we're slaves. We're servants. Uh, we shouldn't be seeking a platform. We shouldn't be seeking glory. And uh, I think that we're uh, in for some trouble if some of these institutions don't Uh, reign in some of these uh, men that are graduating from seminary uh, that are wanting some kind of recognition. That's not the way uh, we are. We should be. We should be slaves of the Lord. And so as we begin chapter 6 of this, we're going to see Jesus is contrasting true kingdom citizens with the religious hypocrite. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, We may as well realize at the outset that this chapter is a very searching one. Indeed, we can go further and say it's a very painful one. I sometimes think it's one of the most uncomfortable chapters to read in the entire scriptures. It probes and examines and holds a mirror up before us, and it will not allow us to escape. There is no chapter which is more calculated to promote self-humbling and humiliation than this particular one. But he ends by saying, but thank God for it. (laughs) Ladies, we don't want to be hypocrites, right? We want to live holy but we want to make sure our motives are right. Why do we do the things that we do? So you have an outline there. We're going to look at the contrasted life of holiness and hypocrisy, hypocritical living and their results. There's two of them and then holy living and its results, and there are two of them as well. So let's look first of all at the life of hypocrisy and what does it produce? What are its results? Notice what Jesus says, take heed. Uh, the mer- meaning here, take heed, means pay attention. Be very cautious about this. Hold this in your mind. Ponder it. Meditate on it. Ladies, often we read scripture and we read it rapidly and we don't stop and think. And Jesus is basically saying, stop. I want you to take heed to what I'm about to tell you. Think about it. Be cautious about it. Be very careful about what I'm going to say. So what, what are we supposed to hold in our mind? What are we supposed to take heed to to be cautious about? Notice what he says, that we don't do... Our charitable deeds before men. Your translation might say acts of righteousness. Uh, King James says alms deeds. So it's talking about works that we do, acts of righteousness. And we come to verse two. It appears that Jesus is going to be talking about a specific act of righteousness, and that is giving to those in need. But then he'll later on talk about other acts that we do as Christians. We pray. We fast. And so he's going to be talking about uh, other forms of things that we might do. But ladies, when you think about it, there's lots of deeds of righteousness that we do. And almost everything we do in life is either an act of righteousness or an act of unrighteousness. Uh, it might be our giving, our tithing, our giving, our praying, our fasting, uh, our church attendance, our singing, our work, our cooking, uh, even our playtime, our relaxed time. Our playtime, our relaxed time, can either be an act of righteousness or sometimes an act of unrighteousness. Now, when you think about it, all of life is either an act of righteousness or unrighteousness. For example, when my husband was alive, we kind of had a deal going on. And uh, so one night a week, I would make his favorite dinner, which was turkey, mashed potatoes, gravy, peas, hot rolls, and pumpkin pie. Now, do you know how long that takes to do all that? And, uh, but if I made his favorite dinner, then he'd take me out for Mexican because he hated Mexican. In fact, the night we got home from our honeymoon, I made tacos for dinner. And uh, we were sitting across the table from each other. And I said, do you, do you like my tacos? And he said, I hate them. I hate Mexican food. I thought I'd married the Antichrist. I was like, What? what do you mean you hate Mexican food? That's my favorite, you know. I think Rebecca's going to take me out for Mexican tonight. I'm already salivating. So, uh, you know, I was like, what? And so for a whole married life, he didn't like Mexican. So we had this deal. I cook a turkey dinner, and he would take me out for Mexican. But, you know, even in doing that, and, you know, for those of you that have ever made turkey dinner and Thanksgiving dinner, it's it's a project. And so, this act of righteousness that I'm doing because I love my husband, I want to please him, I also want some Mexican food later, but you know, can turn into an act of unrighteousness as I'm standing there having to peel the potatoes, mash the potatoes, do the gravy, debone the turkey after dinner. And all of a sudden, in my heart, I can become a grumbler and a complainer because this meal is taking me three or four hours based on his 15 minutes to take me you know, to Taco Bell. Don't go to Taco Bell. Uh, But uh, so you can see how something that you start out with good motives can turn into bad motives, right? By your murmuring, your complaining, the time it takes, the energy it takes, even the money you have to give for this act of righteousness. So Jesus says, take heed, beware that you do not do acts of righteousness before men To be seen by them. Now, the words "before men" means in front of them, and the words "to be seen by them" is actually a Greek word which pertains to being theatrical. So, you do these things so that everybody can see you. Now, obviously, ladies, we have to do deeds before others. We all have spiritual gifts, and we're supposed to be using them, right? We have gifts of that. We have serving gifts and speaking gifts, and we're supposed to be using them. And so if you have speaking gifts, you have to do them in front of others. If you have serving gifts, you have to do them in front of others. But what Jesus says, you don't do it in front of them to be seen by them, to be noticed by them. In fact, the Greek word is to be closely noticed by them. Uh, We know from scripture, there's nothing wrong with being known as someone who does good works. Uh, I think of Tabitha, uh, who, or or you might call her Dorcas. Remember when she died, and the widows were weeping around her, and uh, they called Peter up to raise her from the dead. And it says that she was known for her good deeds. Look at all these things that she's done, and so she was a woman who was known for doing acts of righteousness. The same with Cornelius in Acts chapter ten. Uh, he was known as a righteous man. He gave a lot of alms. He was a man. That is known for doing good. And ladies, we should be known for doing charitable deeds. That's not what Jesus is saying. You should be known as a woman who does good things. You should be known as a woman who does righteous things. But your motive is you don't do it to be seen of others. And the desire to be seen of others was a common problem in Jesus' day. But as I mentioned in my opening, I think it's a common problem in our day as well. People want to be noticed. They want to be seen. They want to have a platform. And Jesus condemns that type of thinking. In fact, Jesus addresses this in John 5 when dialoguing with the Jews. He says this, I don't receive honor from men, but I know you. You don't have the love of God in you. I came in my Father's name and you don't receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you receive him? You who receive honor from one another. You want to see receive honor from each other. You don't want to receive honor from God. The Jews' desire was to have honor from others and not from God. In fact, the first thing Jesus says, what? Well, I don't receive honor from men. I'm not looking to be noticed by men. I'm not here to please men. <laughs> I'm here to please God. And that's what he's asking of us. We do our acts of righteousness to please God not to be noticed by others. The son of man didn't come to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. In fact, in John 12, he rebukes them again when he says, it says, nevertheless, among the rulers, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They loved it. They love to be called rabbi, rabbi. They love to be called teacher, teacher. They love to be noticed. And ladies, this is a sad state of the unbelieving Jew, but not to kingdom citizens, not to those of us who are slaves of Christ. We don't want to be noticed. We don't want a platform. We don't try to elevate ourselves. In fact, Paul, who once was an unbelieving Jew, but became a believing Jew, uh, he says to the church at Thessalonica, we didn't seek glory from men. We didn't seek glory from men or even from others. We were apostles. We were apostles. We just wanted to do the will of God. So, if desiring to be noticed by others is your motive in doing good, then Jesus says, notice what he says here, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. The Greek word for reward here is pay for services. You have no reward. So, ladies, if you're taking notes, the first result of hypocrisy is that hypocrites receive no reward from God. Hypocrites receive no reward from God. However, they do receive a reward. It's not from above, though. Look at verse 2 to see what kind of reward they do have. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be seen from men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. Therefore, Jesus said, because what I've just said, that hypocrites do things to be seen of men, then you as kingdom citizens don't do that. Don't do that. When you do a charitable deed, don't announce it with a trumpet. So now he's moving from general deeds, acts of righteousness, to something specific, which is giving to the poor. And ladies, it is our responsibility. We are to give to those who are in need. In fact, James says, true religion is what? Visiting the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. And so we do, we're commanded to help those and to provide for those, especially those of our own household, uh, uh, the household of faith that need. And so Jesus is not condemning giving to the poor, but he is condemning doing it and being noticed by others. Now, maybe you're wondering, what does he mean here? Don't be like the hypocrites. They sound a trumpet as they give their money to the poor. What's he talking about? Well, there's nothing in church history that indicates it was a literal trumpet, like, here I am, the offering plate is company, and I'm going to go, Whoop woop woo, woo, watch me as I put my money in. Uh, there, There is nothing in history that indicates that. However, the sounding of the trumpet that he's talking about could refer to a noise that was made. They did have a container they would put their money in and it was big at the, the top and small at the bottom, and so when it started, you know, you put your denarii in, and it's, you know, so it makes what? A lot of noise, and so the more money you put in, uh, the more noise you would make, and it sounded like a trumpet, and so as I said, the more money, the louder the noise is. In our day, we might equate it to letting the person next to you. In our church now, we have a box at the back. That happened uh, during COVID-19. We used to pass an offering plate, but now we just have a box in the back, and uh, that's where it has stayed, not because of COVID, but just it's easier now. We have Tithely where people pay uh, or give their tithe online. But let's say your church still does pass an offering plate. It might be something like, here's my check. You want to see how big it is? Or, uh, you know, posting something on social media, you know, well, I went and did this for them, and I did this, and I gave this. And, and so we might let everybody know what we have done. We have many ways of sounding the trumpet in our day, don't we? Uh, Posting things on social media so people will think certain things about us. Jesus tells us, those who belong to him do not behave in such a way. Why does he say that? Because such behavior defines those who are hypocrites. This is what hypocrites do. Ladies, a hypocrite is an actor under an assumed character, a stage player. They're playing a part. But that's not who they really are. And notice where he says they do this. In the synagogue, in the church, of all places, in the streets, in the corner of the streets where it's the busiest, where most men and women are passing by so that they can be seen. We would say in our day and age, we do it in church uh, or places where people are at. Maybe a baby shower, a wedding shower, maybe a ladies' conference. Uh, a gathering of people at your house for dinner. Ladies, there's lots of places that we can be as God's daughters where we do acts of righteousness and our motive is to be seen of others. And Jesus is condemning that. Ladies, this is appalling, especially when he is talking about they're doing this in the synagogue, in the church, where he is supposed to be honored matthew twenty three says this about them: they love the best places at feast, the best seats in the synagogue. they like greetings in the marketplace, and to be called by men rabbi rabbi teacher, teacher in fact, to be a rabbi in the biblical world was equated uh, if you feared a rabbi it was equated to fearing your parents. It was a big uh, it was a high position that many were uh, quickly and not rightly trying to gain get, excuse me seize. And ladies, this is especially appalling as the house of God should be the one place where God is put on display, not us. And so this should cause us to pause when we are in the house of God to ask ourselves if we are drawing attention to ourselves in any way instead of giving glory to God, whom we have come to worship. Ladies, in your giving, in your singing, in your interaction with others, And yes, even in the way you dress, God should be exalted when you come to church. He is the one that we're there to honor. He is the one that we're there to glorify, not ourselves or to draw attention to ourselves. So these religious hypocrites, they get what they want. Notice what they get. They get glory from men. That's their reward. (laughs) They don't glorify God, but they glorify themselves and they get glory from men. Reward here is pay for services. And interesting, the Greek indicates here it can be a good reward or a bad reward. When we think of a reward, we think of something good. But that's not always the case. Here, it seems to indicate it's a bad reward. And the word has to do with payment in receipt of full. Paid in full. This is all you get. You want to know what you get? If you do your acts of righteousness to be seen of men according to Jesus... You get reward from men, and that's all you get. That's all you get, the praise of men. That's what you wanted anyway, so that's what you get. Ladies, they wanted to be seen of men, to be honored by men, and that satisfied their flesh, and that was their reward. Ladies, God is not interested in that. When we do our acts of righteousness, whatever they are, we need to keep in mind that we are what? Why are we even created for the glory of God, right? We are to put him on display, not ourself on display. And I would encourage you, if this is a problem, uh, you need to pray about it. Number one, we talked about sin in our last session, but ask the Lord to give you a heart of humility, which is a lost virtue, and not a heart of pride. I think of Herod. Uh, remember when they claimed in Acts chapter 12 that he was some, some sort of a god, and uh, he, didn't, he didn't deny that, and he didn't excuse it. He received it, and it says he was eaten of worms and died because he gave glory to what? Men, and not to God. Charles Spurgeon says this, to stand with a penny in one hand and a trumpet in the other hand is the posture of hypocrisy. So hypocrites who do their deeds to be seen by others, they get a reward, but the reward is what? Praise from men. So that's the second result of hypocrisy, is this, hypocrisy. They receive a reward, and their reward is glory or honor from men. Well, in contrast to hypocrites who do things before men to be seen by them to receive a selfish reward, we have those who are holy who do things a little bit different in verses 3 and 4. But you, verse 3, you my kingdom citizens, you my children, when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Ladies, anytime you see a but in Scripture, it's a word of contrast. Uh, Debbie and I met a flight attendant one time and she noticed we were re- reading either our Bible or religious books. I don't know what prompted her to come and kneel by us, actually. And she started talking to us and she asked us if we were Christians and we said yes. And she said, well, I have a friend who wrote a book called All the Butts in the Bible. I was like, oh, well, that's weird. And uh, she said, no, I don't mean butts. I mean all the butts in the Bible. And it is true, it's on Amazon, I've never bought it, but I I talk about it, so I probably really should. But that's what she's talking, and don't you love all the buts in the Bible? Like, but God, who is rich in mercy, but God, but God. But anytime you have the word but in scripture, it's a word of contrast normally. And so here is one of those buts in the Bible. So he says, but you, don't be like the hypocrites, you, my kingdom citizen, when you do something, when you do a charitable deed, Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, ladies, as we know, most of us, our right hand is what? The strongest. And our left hand is the weakest. Your right hand usually has more strength, and your left hand is usually the weakest. So what exactly is he saying here? Well, one man says it better than I can. He says this, the right hand is normally the active hand. So Jesus assumes we'll use it when handing over our gift. And then he adds our left hand must not even be watching. There's no difficulty in grasping his meaning. Not only are we not to tell other people about our Christian giving, there's a sense in which we don't even tell ourselves. We're not to be self-conscious in our giving, for our self-consciousness will readily deteriorate into self Righteousness. So subtle is the sinfulness of the heart that it is possible to take deliberate steps to keep our giving secret from men while simultaneously dwelling on it in our own minds in a spirit of self congratulation. End of quote. Jesus, you know, even Jesus, what? He just went about doing good. He just went, he didn't even think of himself. And Paul tells us that same mind is to be in us, or to take on that form of humility. We're not to think of ourselves at all. In fact, when Paul says we're to think others better than ourselves, you know what that really means? We're not even to think of ourselves at all, right? We are to consider others better than ourselves. Ladies, as Jesus went through life and as you and I go through life, we should just look for ways to be a blessing. We don't have to consider our own needs all the time. We don't have to put ourselves on display. Jesus didn't think of what others thought of him. In fact, Paul says, if I seek to please men, I'm not a servant of Christ. And ladies, when I go and speak, uh, I have to think of one thing, and that is I have to leave knowing that I hopefully have glorified the Father. I know I'm going to make some of you mad. probably already have. And uh, I know some of you aren't going to be happy with me, and that's okay. I've got, I got women mad at me all the time, and men too. And uh it's kind of kind of getting used to it now. But uh, I, have to, I have to square off with the Scriptures. And I have to know that I can leave here with a clear conscience that I was here to, to try to put God on display, to try to explain to you the scriptures, to try to explain to you what holy living truly is about. And so ladies, we can't worry about what other, who cares what other people think about us, right? We don't needlessly need to offend, but we must not go through life thinking about what others are going to think of me or desiring that they will think a certain way of us. But ladies, we just go through life looking for ways to be a blessing to others. And it should be so natural that your left hand doesn't even know what your right hand is doing. You just do it. So the first result of those who live holy is they possess genuine humility and they don't even know it. (laughs) The first result of those who live holy is they possess genuine humility and they don't even know it. They think of others more important than themselves. Well, there's a second result of those who live holy, and it's found in verse 4. Notice what he says. He says that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees you in secret will reward you openly. Isn't it interesting? The hypocrite's desire is to be seen by others, whereas the holy person's desire is not to be noticed at all. Notice what he says. You do it in secret. You're not interested in broadcasting what you do, but you want it to be done in secret, in private. And ladies, maybe this is a struggle for you. Maybe deep in your heart you want some sort of recognition for what you do. But, ladies, we need to repent of that attitude. And we need to remember we're here to honor and to glorify the Lord. Now, the fact that, ladies, what Jesus says here is that God sees what you're doing in secret, that should humble all of us, right? Everything is naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I know many people are so concerned about their phones. Uh, knowing everything they're doing, where they're at. And when you go somewhere, they they tell you you were just there three months ago and what you ate. And uh, if you talk to somebody, have a conversation with them pretty soon, you get an ad on your phone for that. And, you know, Google is watching. Uh, But I think, uh, ladies, there's somebody watching that's a little more terrifying than Google, and his name's God. And uh, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, right, keeping watch over the evil and the good. So we need to keep that in mind. Our Father sees. Our Father sees. Even those things that we do in secret, he sees those things and he knows our heart even then. Ladies, keep in mind, God not only sees your acts of righteousness, but he knows your motive for why we do them. I remember years ago, I was just a small group leader in a, in a church and, um, and I re-upped for the next year to, to be another small group leader. And I had to ask forgiveness uh, for the lady at the end of the year because I signed up because I wanted to please her. And uh, she was my mentor at that time, still is. But uh, we were in the same church. And, um, and I, I wasn't about it because the teaching wasn't good. The, the lady who was doing the teaching wasn't really very exegetical or, or biblical, had really poor hermeneutics. And, uh, but I signed up to please my friend. I signed up to be a table leader. So at the end of the study, I went to her and I asked for forgiveness. I said, the Lord has really convicted me. I said, I only signed up this year to be a table leader because of you. I wanted to please you. And knowing that the teaching wasn't that great. And uh, that's not really where my heart was. And so, uh, ladies, uh, that it's good. I, I often ask myself, Susan, why do you do what you do? Why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you, you know, I could be retired by now, but why are you doing what you're doing? You know, why do you go around and do this? Why do you teach the Bible? Why do you write these books? Why do you disciple women? Why do you counsel women? Why are you doing what you're doing? What is the motive of your heart? And ladies, that's good for us to ask ourselves that. And I know our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? (laughs) Only the Lord. But you can ask him to reveal the motives of your heart, right? Why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And let the Lord test our heart. Well, Jesus goes on to say, Our Father who sees in secret will reward us openly. Now, how this is done is really up to our Father. However, the word for reward here is different Greek word than the previous word for reward. The Greek word for reward here means it doesn't entail the reward being good or bad, but it does mean to give away a reward that is good, a good reward. And notice what Jesus says, I will do this openly, which means publicly or externally. Now, it might be a temporary reward. Uh, I think of a great biblical example on earth that, that we have in the Bible is Ruth. Uh, remember Ruth? Uh, remember Ruth? She uh, was uh, Naomi's daughter-in-law, and remember uh, Ruth and Oprah, not Oprah, not Oprah, but Orpha, Orpha, her name, you know, uh, Naomi's husband died, and then their husbands died, and then they, they come into the land of Moab, and she says, don't, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me, call me Mara, for I'm bitter. And uh, so she tells her daughter-in-law, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to be able to get married and have kids that uh, have sons and wait. You're not going to wait for them to grow up. So why don't you go back home? And mm-hmm. Oprah says, bye, see you, mom, mother-in-law. And uh, Ruth says, no, no, I, I, your God's going to be my God. I'm gonna, and she stuck, she stuck to her like glue. And so you know the story of Ruth, but listen to this very carefully. This is a great example of what Jesus is saying. Ruth chapter two, it says, Boaz is talking to her and he says, it has been fully reported to me, that all you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother, the land of your birth, and you came to a people that you didn't even know. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the God of Israel under whose wings you've come for refuge. What was her reward? Well, she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. She got to marry Boaz and they had a baby uh, she sacrificed much for her mother-in-law. And that was probably her reward. I mean, that's a pretty good reward, right? Being in the lineage of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus could also be referring, not just to a temporary reward here on earth, but heavenly, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, right? And give. we're going to be rewarded for that which we've done in the body, whether it's good or bad. In fact, Paul says in Corinthians, he talks about, some of our works are going to be burned, right? Burned up completely like wood, hay, and stubble. Some are going to be tested with fire. and We're going to go into heaven uh, with rewards. How the Lord chooses to do that, that's up to the Lord, right? It's not really up to us. What is up to us is our attitude, ladies, that our motives are righteous. So the second result then of those who live holy by doing acts of righteousness in secret is that they receive a reward. They receive a reward. And that's up to the father how he wants to do that. Now, as I mentioned early, earlier in my opening, there are acts of righteousness. Other acts of righteousness are giving, praying, and fasting. And I want us to quickly read these. I'm not going to exegete the passage, but I want to tie this all together and wrap it up by asking some questions. So we've already talked about the act of giving, the act of giving to the poor. That's an act of almsgiving, or whatever your translation says. But look at verse 5, and here we see the act of praying. Notice what Jesus says. And when you pray, do not be the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues in the corner of the streets that they can be seen by men. Verily, I say unto you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, enter to your room, and when you have shut the door, the idea is you shut out all distractions. I have a friend who's decided to put her cell phone in another room. She said, Susan, I want to Shut out all distractions. So you shut the door and you pray your father who is in secret. Then your father who sees you in secret rewards you openly. And it goes on to say, don't pray like the heathens. Pray with vain repetitions. They think they will be heard for their much speaking. Uh, We're not to pray like that. Uh, So we're not to be like them. So that's the act of praying. Then he talks about a third act of righteousness, and that is fasting. Look at verse 16. Verse 16, he says this, Moreover, when you fast, don't be like the hypocrites. What do they do? I'm fasting today. I have a sad countenance. They disfigure their faces. I'm so hungry. And so they appear unto men to be fasting. They let everybody know they're fasting. Notice what he says. They have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face. What we say, get up, take a shower, get dressed. Right? Everybody doesn't need to know you're fasting so that you appear not unto men to fast, but under your Father who sees in secret, and then he will reward you opening, openly. So Jesus gives three examples here of acts of righteousness, giving to the poor, praying, and fasting. So in closing, I want to ask some questions. What about you? Are you going through life looking for ways to minister to those in need without fanfare? Are you going through life looking for ways to call attention to yourself, As you perform acts of righteousness, do you make sure that all your friends know all the good deeds you involve yourself in, or do you just involve yourself in the needs of others without mentioning it at all? Do you secretly desire to be recognized for the things that you do, or are you content with the joy alone that your Father in heaven is honored by the things that you do? And then, what about your prayer life? You didn't take time to get into it, but have you examined your prayer life lately? Are you praying incorrectly or correctly? Do you come to prayer meetings to be seen by others? Do you enjoy praying before others so that they can think you are more religious than they are? When you pray in public, do you actually pray to God, or are you praying to those who are listening? Are you more eager to pray in public than in private? Do you try and impress others with your beautiful prayers or how much you know? When you pray, do you think about what you're praying or do you mumble some words you've mumbled before? Do you use the same cliches over and over when you pray? Jesus says, don't be like the pagans. They think they're going to be heard for their much speaking, saying the same things over and over. Are you praying from a sincere heart? Do you tell God what's really on your mind? He knows what's on your mind anyway. Might as well tell him, right? And then lastly, what about your fasting? I hope you do fast, but when you do fast, do you do this act of righteousness so that all will know how religious you are? Or do you fast in secret? Ladies, do we do these things for the glory of God or for our glory? Do we do acts of righteousness for eternal gain or financial gain? For the praise of men or the praise of God? To please others? or to please God. One man said this, So we must choose God for our audience. As Jesus watched the people putting their gifts into the temple treasure, so God is watching us as we give and as we pray. We should pray and fast secretly why he is there in the secret place. God hates hypocrisy but loves reality. That is why it is only when we are aware of his presence that our giving and our praying And our fasting will be real. So ladies, as we wrap up the whole conference, before I get into the Q&A, are you living holy in your heart, in your home, in your city? Are you living holy by walking in the light or are you wandering in darkness? Are you living holy by having a right attitude towards sin? Or is is your life unholy by a ridiculous attitude towards sin? Are you living holy by doing acts of righteousness to be seen by God, or are you living unholy by doing acts of righteousness to be seen by men? Remember, this: without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I pray the Lord will use the messages. I know they're not exactly as Rebecca said; they're a little bit intense. But uh, this is what I was asked to speak on, so you can blame it on her. And uh, no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm just teasing her. But but we do need to get back to holy living, my friend. We are living in a very unholy age, and I'm afraid that it's even in the church, and we need to get back uh, to the scriptures to cultivate truth. So I'm going to go right into the Q&A. And again, as Rebecca said, if I don't answer your question sufficiently, uh, I'll be around for a little bit. I'm sure we've got to pack up things. Um, Or if you want more clarification. And some of these I wasn't sure what you were asking. So I'll start with this one. Uh, this conference is just for women, but what has this topic of holiness done for me as a woman that a male pastor could not do? Is this conference just women preaching to other women? Please don't read anger or unrighteousness in this I'm only curious. Older women teach what is good, so train to train young women to love their husbands, children be self-controlled, pure workers at home, and kind. Um, you know, there is nothing you learned today that you probably couldn't learn from a man. But that doesn't negate my responsibility to use my spiritual gifts. Uh, everybody in here has a spiritual gift. I have most of my gifts, spiritual gifts, are speaking gifts. And Peter says, if you have a gift of teaching, use it. Um, I also know from Titus 2, that's why it's mentioned, that older women teach young women, is because often, um, um, especially a husband, is has a hard time reaching a resisting wife. But often, a woman can say things in a different way. Uh, and she receives it well from another woman. I know even in my own mentoring relationship with my two mentors, uh, many times they said very hard things uh, that my husband also would try to tell me. And uh, I often resisted that, but was uh, welcoming them. Also, I was thinking about my own daughter as I was looking at this question. You know, I could say that about my parenting. I wouldn't want anybody to uh, mentor my children. But both of, both of my children uh, had mentors and in their teenage years. And uh, often my daughter would come home and say, "Mom, guess what Terry said." And I go, "What did Terry say?" Well, she said, "Blah blah blah." And I said, "I've been telling you that your whole life," uh, but she listened to Terry. And you know what? I'm glad for Terry, and I'm glad for my my son's mentor as well. So uh, yes, I am to teach Titus too. But I can't teach a woman how to love her husband if I don't know the theology behind why she's to love her husband. I can't teach a woman. How to love her children if I don't know the theology behind parenting, and so I'm to teach the whole council of God. But I would say, if you know, I don't know who wrote this or you know what the heart motive was because I don't know your heart. But um, you know, I don't. I don't think anybody tied you to come here. So <laughs> anyway, but I do believe I do have limitations in my teaching. I do, but believe what Paul says to Timothy: uh, a woman is not to teach or usurp authority over a man in the local assembly. Why? Because Adam was first formed, then Eve. And so the order of creation, uh, I am not to do that. Can men learn from women? Of course they can. We have many, many examples. And I've been interviewed on this topic several times. So you guys can uh, look on YouTube. It's all over the place. And you can look at my views and hear my views on this. But we have many examples in scripture where women, uh, men learned from women. And I think the classic is Priscilla and Aquila who took Apollo Society. He was in error concerning John the Baptist. And the Greek order there is Priscilla did most of the talking. According to church history, she was the most educated biblically. And uh, so she talked to Apollos, and so did her husband, Aquila. And they explained the way of God to him more thoroughly, more excellently. So there's nothing wrong with a man learning from a woman, but I am prohibited to teach in a local assembly. And I do stick to my convictions on that. I've been uh, criticized for it, been uh, slandered for it, and everything else. But that's okay. i got big shoulders, so... Uh, what should a relationship be when a child, uh, what should a relationship when a child looks like if that child is not a believer and they put themselves over their children and they live in sin, and even though you pray for them and you have an opportunity to share uh, the gospel, but, but it is unto frustration, and again, I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time reading this, against funda- frustration and argument and leaves you frustrated and sad, Then you lose sleep and such. It affects you so much that you go separating yourself from that child, which then puts distance from you and your grandchildren. How do you go on with the relationship that affects you so much? I want to have the right attitude in the matter. I think what you're asking is you have an adult child that looks like that is rebellious and they're putting themselves over their children. Um, You know, in a situation like that, first of all, I'd like to have more information. And if you want to talk, come talk to me at the book table, I'll try to help you a little bit more because A lot of times in these Q&As, I need to ask you questions so I can give you better counsel. So it's a fool that answers a matter before he hears the whole story. So I need a little more information. But I would say just from what you're giving me here, um, there's probably not a lot you can do. If it's an adult child, you pray for them. You love them. You never give up. Love never gives up. You always hope. Uh, Try to invest as much as you can. Uh, You overcome evil with good. You pray for those who hate you and despitefully use you and persecute you. Uh, you show the love of Christ to them. Uh, let them see by your life that you are uh, that you are a genuine believer and that you do love them. And pray for your grandchildren. Um, you know, pray that somebody else besides you, you know, a prophet's not without honor in his own country. And a man's enemies are they of his own household. So what I would do is pray. I've done this often. Uh, pray for someone else besides a family member to be able to come in and impact that person to the, for the kingdom. So Pray for someone else to influence your child or your grandchild. You mentioned that you made him Lord. I was at a church that taught against lordship salvation. They called it a work salvation because you choose to make him Lord. My understanding is it's something that happens at salvation. Like they go hand in hand. Could you please elaborate or help me understand this better? Thank you so much. Uh, I I don't remember saying I made him Lord. He is my Lord. (laughs) You can't make him Lord. He's already Lord. And uh, that was my problem. The other three times I was saved and baptized, uh, I thought walking in an aisle and praying a prayer was equated to salvation. And I never saw my sin. And until I was 30 years of age, I never saw myself as a sinner. And I remember weeping over my sin. And he is my Lord. I mean, I realized I needed to give up. I, I was the master of my, I thought I was the master and the controller of my life. And I gave up that uh, for his lordship. So if I I may. I don't know if I said that. If I did, I don't. I didn't mean to say I made him Lord. He is my Lord. <laughs> he is my Lord. He is my Master. He is my Owner. And many years ago, I told the Lord I would do whatever He wanted me to do, go everywhere He wanted me to go, be whatever He wanted me to be. And I meant that. And uh, He is my Lord, and I'm thankful. So forgot. I please forgive me if I made a error in my speech. I don't know when I said that, but <clears throat> who knows? I'm. Um, is embarrassed okay uh, is embarrassment and strong detest of having an unclean or untidy house a sign of pridefulness I am a reoccurring perfectionist and I have to examine my heart in this area after sister in Christ had has brought this to my attention uh, I had the same problem uh, before I became a believer i I'm kind of a neat freak and like everything done a certain way and I remember uh, we came home from our honeymoon and and, uh, you know, you're in your same, I mean, I wasn't used to sleeping with another person, but I slept with my husband because we were married, and I remember one morning he woke up and, and uh, went to the bathroom, so I heard it, hurry and made the bed, and he comes back in the room and goes, what'd you do that for? <laughs> I go, because it's time to make the bed, and he goes, I'm going back to bed, i was like, what? And then, you know, we'd have people over, I, I couldn't even stand a glass in the kitchen sink, it had to be in the dishwasher, so I, in fact, one of my elder's wives, former elder's wife, she even confronted me one time. She said, I don't think people are comfortable coming to your home because everything is always so clean and neat. But that's just how I like to live. So, but I have learned through my husband, who was opposite of me, we, we actually laughed when we went through all of his stuff after he passed. My kids came a couple of weeks later. We went through his office and all of his millions of books and his clothes. And we just started laughing some of the times So we'd open a drawer and we'd go, oh, my goodness how long has this been in here? At least 300 decades. And uh, so I, you know, I was just, we were just very different in that. <clears throat> so he helped me a lot. Uh, I quit being a perfectionist and having to have everything in its place at all times. I still like a very neat house and a clean house, but I would say you just probably need to relax a little bit. I mean, you do want a nice house. We're to be, we're to guide our house. We're to rule our house. We are to be homemakers and things like that. But uh, I'm thankful for the sister in Christ who brought that to your attention and So you might just want to let go of that a little bit. Drop your pride. It's okay. Uh, I used to be the same way about when I had people over for dinner. Everything had to be perfect. I had to make this elaborate meal. And just the other night, well, the night before I came here, I had a family over for dinner, and I said, Sorry, guys, I'm leaving town. I have to pick up Debbie at 4 in the morning to go... New Hampshire, it's pizza night. And, uh, you know, I was, I was fine with that. And they really said, fine, we like pizza. I said, good, because that's what we're having. I'm not cooking. So, um, you know, I've, I've loosened up a lot. So just, just grow in that and and uh, thank God for people that will love you enough to speak the truth. Uh, uh, the subject here is being a faithful church member. Could you address this issue of faithful membership within the local church versus changing church affiliation out of personal preferences like music or feeling personal offense from other members. Um, We invest in people's lives and feel divorced and abandoned when they leave, either without comment or wood-speaking criticism, etc., weakening of the body of Christ. Um, There are a couple things I would recommend. There's a good message uh, by John MacArthur, When It's Right to Leave a Church, but I would say this, when your church ceases to be the means of grace for you, then it's time probably to leave. If you're not growing spiritually. Now, with the person that, you, that there's offenses, I definitely would not leave a church without taking care of that as much as you can. Uh, we had a situation in our church uh, a year ago, and it was very challenging. And I have endeavored uh, to make peace with everybody that I could. Many people don't want to. And so as much as possible as is within you, you try to make peace. Some people don't want that. So you just leave that in the Lord's hand. Um, I don't think leaving a church over uh, music unless it's heretical is a good idea. But I would say this. um, uh, Who is it that has the signs of a good church? Is that that MacArthur or Devers? Yeah, Uh, signs of a good church. So you want to be in a church that uh, practices uh, the institutions that Christ laid, baptism, church discipline. Uh, You know, I personally want to be in a church where I'm protected by my shepherds, by my elders. Uh, I want a church that is expository preaching uh, that sets has a high view of God, that has a high view for their members. So um, but I personal preferences I don't I wouldn't leave a church over that, but uh, there are reasons that you should leave a church and I would I would definitely look into that. But if the word is not being taught if church discipline is not being done, baptism, the Lord's Supper, it's not a church if they have a female pastor. It's not a church. In fact, I had a woman just recently say, "I'm in a church with a female pastor. Should I leave it?" And I said, "Yes, you should leave like flee immediately." Um, so anyway, uh, could you talk a little about how to find or seek a mentor? Also, should we be actively seeking someone to mentor, wait for someone to come to us? This one's about mentoring. What does a mentorship relationship look like? What do you do? What do you talk about? Uh, you had two mentors. Describe what you took. What took place? How did you focus on it? How did you avoid gossiping? And building a close relationship. All these are about mentors. Um, My my discipleship book talks about this, but I have done both. I have gone to people and said, hey, would you like to uh, um, get together for coffee and let's talk about maybe a a potential discipling relationship. Uh, I see women that have potential and I'd like to invest in them, but I've also had the other where women have come to me and asked me to disciple them. So I think both are good. You just want to look for somebody. If you're a young woman, you want to look for someone's life you want to emulate. Who do you want to follow as they follow Christ? That's discipleship. You follow me as I follow Christ. So who in your body of believers is a woman that you would like to follow? And uh, go ask her to if she'd be willing to have a discipling relationship with you. She doesn't have to be older in age. She could be just older spiritually than you are. And uh, so just get together. Uh, read the Bible together. Go through what I do. I have a series of questions I ask. Uh, so that I know what the needs are. If there's a struggle in a marriage or struggle with parenting or anything like that, I usually try to hit those areas. Um, and so I, I ask a series of questions that helps me know where to go. Um, and so it, you add, somebody asks, what does it look like? Well, everything, I've done everything from systematic theology to, um, you know, going through the Bible together, going through one of my studies, going through books like uh, parenting books, The Excellent Life by Martha Peace. Um, I've done that with lots of women. Uh, The Art of Divine Contentment is one of my new favorites that I go through with a lot of women uh, by Thomas Watson. It's a book that is much needed, uh, The Art of Divine Contentment. So I I do a myriad of things uh, with women. Um, And then describe what uh, should focus on. Well, you focus on uh, your relationship with Christ. We should bring them one step closer to maturity in Christ Jesus. And so if there's not life change going on in a mentoring relationship, if the person is not growing in Christ-likeness, then you might need to reevaluate. In fact, just a couple years ago, I had been working with two women in my church, one for 10 years, one for nine, and I finally stopped both. I'd never done that before in my history of discipling, which is almost 40 years now, but I stopped because I said, you know, I've been discipling you for 19 years. There's been no change. Maybe it's me. (laughs) You know, it could be me, but I think you probably should find someone else, and the one girl did, and the other girl passed away, but uh, I'm not sure she was a genuine believer, and that may be why there was no life change. But I'm a little bit quicker now with that. As I'm getting older, I want my life to be fruitful. And I don't know how many years or days or seconds I have left. And so I want to bear as much fruit as I can for the kingdom. And so usually if I don't see change after uh, six weeks or two months, I usually will say, you know, maybe maybe somebody else would be better or maybe we need to change channels here or something because I don't see you progressing or uh, taking the principles I'm 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 trying to instill in you and taking those and using them, and how do you avoid gossip? Well, I think you have to be very careful because, uh, in in a way, you have to be discerning. An old woman teaches a young woman how to love her husband. Let's take that for an example. But I can't teach a young woman how to love her husband unless I know what her issues are. Uh, if her husband has a pornography problem, if her husband uh, has anger issues, if he's harsh. I have to know something. Now, I don't know, need to know details that are not necessary, but I have to know something. That's not gossip. That is just her sharing with me her burden so that I can help her. Uh, I think what you have to be careful about in a mentoring relationship, especially when you get close, as I am to both of my mentors, I look at them as not only mentors, but mothers. I mean, my mother's gone. And I'm not sure my mother's in heaven, but um but I do love my mentors. I look at them as spiritual mothers. So, um, but I do think you have to be careful with familiarity. You can get loose with your tongue. And so you want to be careful not to be gossiping or slandering. In fact, uh, one time, um, I was with one of my mentors and she's in a different church and, uh, uh, she had been talking to me a lot about some concerns in her church. And I came home one day and I said to my husband, I said, honey, am I entertaining accusations against an elder by listening to this? And, and he said, no, honey, you're listening to your friend. She needs to talk. So I think you just have to be wise. I think you have to be discerning, uh, whether it's a gossip. You know, gossip is talking, is saying things uh, about somebody that's not a part of the problem or the solution. And again, you have to just be wise, because sometimes you do have to hear things in order to help people. I can't counsel people unless I know some facts. And, um, but I usually, especially in counseling situations, I keep that private unless it's a church discipline issue. Okay. Uh, what is the best tip to young women who are struggling with daily scripture reading? What's a good way to get motivated, especially in a busy time. This is also the same. I find myself struggling with my time in the word. I'm easily distracted when I pray too often feel like my study is simply going through motions. How can I make my quiet time more purposeful and less checking on a box that needs to be done? That is a very good question. I do have a YouTube teaching on this, being disciplined in the word and prayer, how to make your time effective in the word and prayer, so you, that's something you can listen to. But I would say, you know, for me, I, I when I'm reading the Bible, uh, I'm reading the Bible this year with someone that I mentor, plus the other things I do, but we're looking for certain things this year. We're looking for examples of the gospel. So I would really encourage you, as you read the Bible, ask questions. What do I learn about God? What do I learn about, uh, is there a prayer for Is there an error for me to avoid? Is there a promise for me to claim here? Be looking for something. Don't just be reading words on a page. Uh, ask the text questions, and that'll help you to be more focused. Prayer time, uh, I use scripture a lot to pray. I use the Valley of Vision. I use music. Uh, worship, uh, you know, part of your time with the Lord should be spent in worship. Uh, so you might sing, you know, you might uh, just pray through the psalm. So I think it, the the important thing is you just want to make sure that your time in the Word is meaningful and your time in prayer is meaningful. If it starts to become rote uh, or dull or meaningless, then uh, maybe you need to examine your own heart, but also maybe just need to change it up a little bit. So um, and maybe do this with someone else. You know, uh, get with another woman, maybe read the Bible together and things like that. Maybe pray together. Um, So getting busy and motivated in busy seasons, you've got to find time, what works for you. When my kids were little, um, I was nap time was the best time. But then uh, for me now, I just get up earlier. I just, you know, whatever time I'm supposed to be somewhere, I get up at least two hours before then. So um, you just have to find the time. We make time to do what we want to do. Um, what does biblical counseling, discipline look like for those who struggle with hallucinations, those who've been diagnosed by worldly categories of mental illness, schizophrenia? Where is their heart and conundrum, and most of the time, in your experience, biblically? Um, I would encourage you to read a great book, Jay Adams, Competent to Counsel, um, and I, you know, was trained when I was trained. What used to be NANC, now it's ACBC, and I went through all that training. Uh, looking at mental illness, all the psychotropic uh, drugs and all the, you know, diagnoses that doctors will give you. I think now there's like two to 3,000 diagnoses that you can have. And uh, some of them are crazy. So every one of you have probably got some mental illness. In case you didn't know that, I'm just telling you, as a biblical counselor, you're all ill. And I have a pill for you. So um, I really think, honestly, all sarcasm aside, um, you would be wise to educate yourself in reading uh, good books, like Jay Adams' book, "Competent to Counsel," on um, the fallacy of some of these things. I'm not saying that some people don't have problems; they do. But when people come in to me for counseling and they tell me they're bipolar or they're schizophrenic or blah, 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 whatever their issue is, I take those terms. I know what they mean. And then I look at the scriptures and I say, what does the Bible say? If you're bipolar, you have issues with anger. You have issues with high elation. You're out of control. So what do we deal with? We deal with, we start talking about self-control. And uh, so I deal with those issues biblically. Um, But I would encourage you to educate yourself. There's so much. You can get on uh, biblicalcounseling.com. And listen to messages. You can read some very good things that will help educate you. I don't have time to go into everything I could share with you. Does Jesus love the unsaved? Yes, he does. Luke 18, he looked on the rich young ruler. He told him to sell everything he had and go give to the poor. And the rich young ruler went away. And it says, and Jesus looked on him, and he loved him. So I would have to say, you can't get away from that. He loves He loves the unbeliever. Christ died for them, right? How can I help my niece who, how can I help my niece who is trans if her family won't let me close to her or even mention her real name? And here's another one about transgender. How do you answer those who defend transgender movement and other movements against God when they say we are all God's children? You know that's a that's a the that's the issue today, isn't it? Um, I would say this if they're open to it. Uh, first, I would take them to the biblical back to the back to Genesis. God created them, male and female, male and female. Uh, that's how He created. I take them to Psalm what Psalm one thirty nine. They were knit in their mother's womb. God made them a certain way. God does not make mistakes. Now, if you go through all the passages in Scripture that deal with that, and they still refuse, I would take them to what is going on in our culture today, in the sense that those who have gendered into another gender, many of them are coming out now. Many of them are suing their doctors. Many of them are saying, it was peer pressure that made me do this. The suicide rate among transgenders is skyrocketing. So if they won't believe the Bible and what the Bible says, that you're either male or female, right? Uh, Then I would take them to just what's going on and culturally. Have them listen to people's. You can get on YouTube and hear all kinds of people's testimonies, people that have gendered and they regret it Um, and they are appealing to people. I read about a psychologist. She's a transgender. She was a man. Now she's a woman. She said, I will not even counsel uh, children now who are wanting to gender because this is, she said, this is abuse, what parents are doing to their children. And she herself is a, a transgender. She said, you have no idea what you're doing to these kids and she won't do it. So I would take them to things like that. Educate them as much as you can. I really believe 10 years from now, we won't even be talking about this. There'll be something else. You know, people will be changing. And in Tulsa now, we have litter boxes in the bathrooms in our schools for the kids that are kitty cats. You know, they're identifying as a cat. So now our teachers have to have litter boxes for them. So, you know, 10 years from now, transgender is going to be, what's that? That was a hiccup. We're going to be, it's going to be even weirder, you know. So just prepare yourself. Um, but ladies, you need to know the scriptures uh, to defend anything in life, whether it's transge- transgenderism or you want to be a cat or you want to identify as a cat. Someone in Canada I mentor. she sent me a picture of a woman that was turning into a wolf, and she is, she's, she's uh, doing uh, redoing her everything and growing hair, and she wants to identify as a wolf. So uh, it's always something weird, but we need to know the word of God so we can defend the truth, right, and what God says. I would never stop praying for them. I would never give up on them. I would always speak the truth in love to them. Um, and then you say that we need, you say, all we need to do when we sin is ask for forgiveness. I think this is what those who are not believers struggle with. Christians just say they can do whatever they want, and then they ask for forgiveness. I think this is something that has moved many young people away from the church and religion, especially organized religion, What are your thoughts about this? Well, I'm not sure that, I don't know if you were in the second session, but I said just the opposite. Um, We cannot sin all we want. That's not what John says, no, he doesn't want us to sin. This whole conference is about holiness, holy living. And so, yes, when we sin, we can ask for forgiveness, but what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that may, grace may abound? God forbid. So I was very clear. So I don't know if uh, I'm misunderstanding your question or you misunderstood my teaching. But the Bible is very clear. We we avoid sin. We run from it. We hate it. Uh, but when we do sin, we can ask for forgiveness. And that's the beauty of it. Uh, I've never heard that that's why young people are leaving the church. I think the lo- young people are leaving the church because of the church is weak. Uh, the church has um, is is apostatized. I think parents aren't training their children the way they should. Uh, I don't think Christ is upheld in the homes. And I think we have allowed our children to spend their time on social media and that's where they're getting all their wacky ideas is from their peers that we as parents are allowing our children to get their ideology from their peers. And that is a danger. So I do believe that's more why children or teens are leaving the church. I don't think they see real Christianity in the church. And so that behooves us to uh, step it up and be what we're supposed to be. Uh, What are your tips for memorizing scripture? What are your tips for confronting a friend in sin gracefully and lovingly? Well, just what you said, gracefully and lovingly. Uh, Usually when I have to confront someone, um, I I do it in love. I try to as much as I can. I usually um, point them out to scripture, the scripture that has to deal with their issue, Um, I'm very patient with them. I try to speak the truth in love to them. Um, And I I wait and hope that they repent. But uh, I just, you know, I say, hey, I'm coming to you today. You might be coming to me next week and I hope you will. If you see sin in me, I hope you'll come to me. And so um, that's how I usually approach it. Uh, But you do it, want to do it very gracefully, very lovingly. You who are spiritual restore each other in a spirit of meekness. So you want to be meek, but you want to point them to scripture. Look, I'm really concerned uh, I've noticed that, um, uh, for example, I'll give you an example. In a list of years ago, there was a couple we were mentoring, and they had several children. And um, when her husband thought it was time to go, he'd say, hey, you know, have the kids pick up so we can go. We need to go. And she would just sit there, and she would never do what her husband wanted her. So I just took her aside after three or four times of this, and I said, you know, you're really being dishonoring to your husband. And I said, every time you come, which we love having you in our home, he says it's time to go and you don't you don't react. you don't get the kids starting to pick up so you can leave and get home. And I said, that's really dishonoring. and I said, you need to start having the kids pick up so you can go home with your husband. And she took it very well. so it, you know it's all in how you approach it um, but you know pray before you confront and pray after. Tips for memorizing scripture, that's another whole hour which I don't have. But I'll give you the two. I, I'll give you two tips that help me. My husband's the one that shared with me his method. Uh, one thing that has helped a lot is I put on a recording device with my own voice as fast as I can, whatever I'm memorizing. Right now I'm in Genesis chapter 23, and so. Uh, but let's say you want to take a, a smaller portion of scripture like Colossians, uh, four chapters. They're pretty short chapters. I put it on my own uh, on a recording device. Uh, my phone. I have a recording app. Uh, with my own voice as fast as I can. Paul, and apostle of Jesus Christ, brother of God. And Timothy, brother. saints of faith, and brother in Christ, you're at class, they C. L. O. S. E. Don't worry. I'm like a quote the whole thing to you. But anyway, so you have it on your own the recording device with your own voice. And then I listen to it, and this is one of the things my husband told me that was very helpful. This is how he memorized a lot of scripture uh, by listening to it. Uh, you know, when you're getting dressed, putting your makeup on, doing laundry, whatever. So you're kind of getting, and you listen to it at a fast speed. And the reason you listen to it as a fast at a fast speed. Because they've proven statistically, our brains pick up things quicker and easier if we listen to something at a faster speed than a slow speed. So, you've kind of gotten the idea of what this is about this chapter, this book, this portion of scripture you want to memorize. You've been listening to it at a fast speed. And so, that's number one that really helped me. The second thing that really helped me, and I do my memory work like you do blood, sweat, and tears. You know, I, I make a copy out of, the, out of my Bible, the page of my Bible, I keep it with me, I have it with me. And I do the same thing you do, you know, Paul and Apostle, Paul and Apostle of Jesus Christ, Paul and Apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, Paul and Apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timothy, your brother. So I've got verse one, then I go to verse two, always reviewing verse one. But this was the second thing he shared with me that helps help to me retain it. And that is, um, after you complete something, like say you complete the epistle to the Colossians, if you will review it, and once you get it done, you review it every day out loud for 30 days, you have it. Now, the books of the Bible that I've done that way, they're the most uh, ones I can pull up the best. The ones that I did not review every day out loud for 30 days are my most challenging ones. So uh, now that I'm in the Old Testament, I'm trying to, I review like in Genesis chapter 23. So I try to review uh, Genesis 20 to 23 every day, but I'm always trying to review all of Genesis by listening to it on my recording device. So that's my method. There's lots of methods. There's a lot of scripture memory apps out there. I've heard that people really love, um, and so you can try some of those. I've got my own method, and it's just worked for me for, for uh, 37 years, but, you know, uh, everybody has their own method. But that, those were the two tips that he shared with me that have helped me. Um, how do you navigate relationships, especially family, when they claim to be a Christian, but they're walking in darkness and speaking truth and love has not brought conviction? Um, that is very challenging. Uh, when you have family that claim to be Christian, but they're walking in darkness, especially if they're in your home. Um, I would read the art of divine contentment. I know that sounds very strange, but that will help you. Um, I would continue to speak the truth in love to them. I wouldn't nag them, but I would speak the truth in love to them. I would um, pursue Christ above anything else. Make him your all. Pursue loving Christ and loving others. Uh, don't, Don't get into wrong thinking. Uh, Don't get into stinking thinking. Don't start feeling sorry for yourself. All that is of the enemy. Just start pursuing Christ more. Love others more. Pray. Never give up. Fast. Fast and pray. I remember when my 13-year-old daughter told my husband no. She never told my husband no. And uh, he looked at me and he goes, what would she just say? I said, she said no. He said, go to your room. To her, not me. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, he said, what are we going to do? Michael, I go, I don't know. And uh, so he thought about it, and he called her out of room. He said, you got three days. You can abide by the rules of this house, or there's the door, and you're not taking the good luggage. I married your mother long before you were born, and you're not going to destroy this family. And I was like, oh, he's serious. So I went to Bible study that night, and I got seven women to fast and pray with me. I said, would you all please fast and pray? My husband's serious. I don't know what's going to happen, but uh, she's 40, uh, 44 now, and she's one of my best friends. So she's a believer, praise God. But anyway, she's a pastor's wife. But anyway, so um, not that that makes you anything special, but anyway, so three days came, and uh, and he had also told her, he said, I'll have to get out of the pastorate if you continue this rebellion. So she broke, and uh, she got saved right after that, and has been transformed ever since. So uh, that's why I'm saying fast and pray. Get people to fast and pray with you. God does answer. And it's not a magical formula, but be, be serious about it. And so pray. Uh, in looking at Psalm 101 and putting things out that are not of him, what about when those attitudes are bad company live within your home? That's the same kind of question. Uh, pray, fast, uh, find your joy in the Lord. Ladies, you can live independent of your circumstances. You really can. Even if your home situation is bad, uh, I know I have 11 women in my church that are married to unbelievers. There's 11 women. I counted. I went through our church directory. Uh, and yet, you know, some of those women in my church, those 11 women are the most happy, joy-fulfilled women I have seen. Uh, their joy is not dependent on their unsaved husband. And some of them really are being treated not right. And so... Um, You can live independent of that. You can find your joy in Christ alone, and and he is is a rich treasure. Last but not least, you gave counsel to a lady about not having her husband commit adultery. What behavior caused him to commit adultery? Basically, in that situation, I want to be sensitive, is uh, they had just gotten married, and uh, he was going into seminary, being trained to be a pastor. And I had told her, I said, um, he was working nights, she was working days, and I said, this isn't good. I said, the Old Testament is clear. A, a young man didn't even go out to war when he got married. He was supposed to stay home for a year. And I said, you guys are on two different schedules. You're not cohabitating. This is not good. Not good, not good. And sure enough, a year later, he committed adultery. And he had to step out of going to seminary. And I said, she, she cried. She said, I wish I'd have listened to you. And I said, we can't defy. You can't, you can't uh, defy what God says. We need to obey. You know, this is what he says we're to do. And uh, so my heart broke for them, but um, it's been a good thing. Their marriage is on track, I think. I'm still working with her, but um, yeah, you can't, you can't just ignore what God says, right? He has set up rules and guidelines for us, and ladies, we need to follow those. And Deuteronomy 28 is clear. There's so many blessings in obedience and living holy, and there are consequences when we don't live holy, right? So thank you for your time. I don't know if Rebecca, did you want to say anything else? Or do you want to get tomatoes and they can all throw them at me? (laughs) Uh, I I don't know what's next, but we'll be at the book table if you need to talk more. Thanks.
1: Would you stand as we close out our conference? Tells the story of Echo went. I don't know if she needed
2: to close you eyes out. Um, there she is. Not that you can do a fine job, Katie, I'm sure. <laughs> so anyway, um, ladies, I can't thank you enough for just carving out some time To be here this weekend, I really hope that you feel as encouraged and blessed, exhorted, um, convicted. That's a good thing, ladies, to be convicted. Um, uh, Reassured, or maybe even if you're a little confused, please don't leave here today without speaking to um, myself Susan uh, a friend that brought you someone in your church that you trust could help you to navigate some of the questions that you may have um, we thank you so much for just as I said making time for this it I have I have said over and over again um, as I have walked with the Lord that there is Often times where it is very difficult to get to the appointment, meaning the Bible study, the church, Sunday school, a conference. But I have never come away from that time asking to get those hours or those moments back. I have left better than I came in the door. And I hope that that is your experience. Not that experience is what we govern our life on, but we have experienced that here this weekend. And I hope that that is your takeaway, that you are richly rewarded by what you have heard over this weekend. Please don't hesitate to um, get online and re-listen to these things because a lot of times, there's things that we even found that even with the Q&A today, that there may be some things that you need to hear again, because there's a lot of information, and Susan talks very fast. <laughs> <laughs> and so sometimes we hear things and so that we thought we heard, or just that we need um, just a, either clarity or more encouragement in that, or more, you know, press on, press on, ladies. So... Sit down. Take some time over the next few weeks and go over these. Pull your notes back out, um, and and there is cards in in the uh, a little takeaway gift for each of you. Note cards, and I would I would encourage you to use and some of the things that you have heard and apply those to writing down a card to somebody else and sending that out to them of how they have been a source of encouragement to you, an instrument within your life as an example of holiness or um, of integrity. And um, use those cards for that purpose. With that being said, I'll go ahead and close this in prayer. I pray that wherever the Lord takes you on the Lord's Day tomorrow, that it is um, just a wonderful time of worship with the family of God. I look out right now, and it's my privilege to stand up here and look at all of these sisters in Christ and that someday we will all be together in glory, and that is a wonderful, wonderful thing to think about. So will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for what an amazing weekend um, with our sister Susan. We are so thankful for her hard work that is so very evident in just her exhortation of scripture, Lord. May you continue to use her in a powerful way um, throughout however many days, weeks, months, or years you have chosen and allotted and planned for her. We know that everything that is brought our way, Lord, isn't by chance. Um, It isn't just... Uh, Quenki, dink, Lord, it is by your perfect design that you have fashioned for our good and your glory. As we walk away from this this time in your Word, Lord, may we be may we have a deeper desire to be set apart, to look different than the world, to be able to handle the accusations of of our Christianity and the dislikes that come with that, Lord. May we be willing to be a living and walking testimony of your love, faith, grace, and mercy in our life as we continue to pursue holiness in our life. We lift all these things up because of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.